0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. 22 days ago, uh, the world is aware that Israel is at war, and that war continues after 22 days. As a matter of fact, it's been more elevated and escalated than it was 21 days ago. And this is Israel. And it is on the news around the world. Everyone is talking about it. Uh, We need to speak to it. Absolutely. The elders of our church agree to that. Um, And there's reason for that. We're talking about the nation of Israel. This demands a word from God in his scripture. Because it's the nation of Israel. There was another war within the last year between Ukraine and Russia, and the world was paying attention, and we did seek, seek Scripture. Christians are encouraged to seek Scripture on all issues because we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that the Bible uh, informs or addresses or gives us perspective on no matter what happens in life, and that was true of war with Ukraine and Russia, that it's actually still going on. But this is different. When Israel is involved in a war, some current events involve the nation of Israel because That's what the Bible is about. The Bible from beginning to end is about Israel. From the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to literally the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the main character is God and the nation of Israel. So the Bible has something to say very specifically, actually exhaustively and comprehensively and authoritatively about the nation of Israel. When you intersect with current events about the nation of Israel, you are first and foremost dealing with a biblical issue, not a political matter not a social matter, not a socioeconomic matter, not a military matter, not a matter of opinion. Uh, the word of god scripture is has authoritatively spoken on basically everything that needs to be said and can be said about the nation of israel. because that's what the bible is about. it is about the nation of israel. all the prophets of the old testament that we so much adore and love, they were jews. they were hebrews. they were israelites. And their God was the God of Israel. That is the name that God has claimed for himself for all eternity. The God of Israel. And all those Old Testament prophets who were Hebrews and Jews in the land of Israel were prophesying and looking forward to one main event. And that was the coming of the Messiah. And that was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to the land of Israel. He came to Jerusalem. He came to Bethlehem. He came fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. Jesus was a Jew. He was an Israelite. His ministry was confined to the land of Israel. His 12 apostles that he chose were all Jewish from the land of Israel. He commissioned them to found the church, the church of Christ, the body of Christ. And they did. The church was founded. On the teaching of the doctrine of the twelve apostles. The twelve apostles were all Jewish. They were all Israelites from the land of Israel. And their ministry, those twelve, was confined to the land of Israel. As they were commissioned to reach the world. With the truth about a Jewish Messiah from Israel. Who was savior of the world. So they did start the church. The church began on the day of Pentecost. We know this in Acts chapter 2. We see it in the book of Acts. And it spread and grew. And for the first five years... The Church of Jesus Christ, as it exploded in terms of human growth, with thousands of members being added, thousands upon thousands, for the first five years, it was strictly a Jewish church, until the Apostle Paul came along. a Jewish church. That is our heritage. That's our genealogy. That's our lineage. If you're a Christian, you come from the Jews. Uh, The Bible is clear about that. So, uh, the Bible has something authoritative to say about Israel. I'll just say it again. Everything that can be said and should be said has already been said in Scripture about Israel. Everything that can be said about Israel and that should be said about the nation of Israel has already been said by God in the Bible. It is exhaustive. Already said that Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning, its origins to the end, the culmination at the end of the age. God's already told us what's going to happen. So day after day, as you're reading the newspaper, the headlines, or whatever it is, or listening to some news pundit uh, on some news channel, and they're all com- they're all giving commentary to the best of their ability. Many of them about what's going on in these events, which is fine. That's what news should do. The news should relate simply the facts that are occurring right now. Without commentary in terms of their own worldview being foisted upon its interpretation and why these things are happening. Because God's already done that for us. God has given us the meaning and the interpretation of what we should think about Israel as Christians. That's settled already, that's clear. So when you're reading the news, be discerning. Remind yourself I'm a child of God, Jesus is my Savior, He was a Jew. He knows everything. God, you've already spoken to this issue. Give me your thoughts, your eyes, your perspective on everything that I read. Before we get to our sermon today, I just want to remind us more explicitly of that with a couple of verses. I'll just read them to you. Uh, One of the basic fundamental Christian disciplines, in addition to praying and confessing your sin and going to church and giving, is thinking properly, being discerning. That's a, a virtue, a Christian discipline we're supposed to practice on a regular basis every single day. Scripture commands it from beginning to end to be a discerning thinker, uh, think with spiritual eyes through the grid of Scripture. So let me remind us all before we venture off into a very complicated, controversial topic today that you see there in your sermon notes if you have a copy of what the obligation of a Christian is. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 to believers, I urge you, I exhort you, I command you, this is not an option if you're a Christian. Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the mercies of God, because He's been good to you, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. Present your body as a living, in an ongoing way, to God as a, li- a living and pleasing sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. What does that mean? That just means live for God with everything you have all the time, 24-7, in anything and everything you do. All of your actions, all of your words, all of your attitudes, all of your thinking. Do it all in a way that pleases God, It literally is a living sacrifice. Live for Christ. Whether then whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. We know that's a basic mandate. Well, how do you do that? How do you live for God 24-7? It's not easy to do because we are sinful. Well, there is a key, and that's in verse 2. How do you live for God all the time in a pleasing way? It all comes down to your thinking. How you think. It starts there. You have to control your thinking, you have to inform your thinking with truth, truth from the Bible and only the Bible. You have to vet out lies, you have to vet out deception, you have to vet out sheer human opinion. So it's all about the mind. God wants to control your mind with spiritual truth. Satan wants to control your mind with lies. Because God and Satan both know the key to controlling you as a person is controlling your thinking. Christianity really is a religion of the mind. And it's right here. You want to live for God 24-7 in a way that pleases Him? Then here's what you need to do. Thank you, Paul, for giving us the key, the secret. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, to this age. Literally, what's he talking about? Uh, this godless world, this the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist in the world. What is he talking about? He's talking about uh, the worldview of 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 the unbelieving world, the secular world, all the ideologies and philosophies and aspirations and goals and information and all that is spewed by the world that is in conflict with what God thinks. That's the world's system. By the way, the whole world that he's talking about lies in the lap of the wicked one, that is Satan. Satan is the God of this world. He blinds the minds of those who do not believe so that they cannot see the truth of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And here's our exhortation and command. Do not be conformed to this world, to the ideologies of this world, the thinking of this world, the verbiage of this world, the goals of this world, the entertainment of this world, the emotions of this world, everything. Do not be, and literally, the verb here is a, it's a passive, which means uh, it could be translated. Do not put yourself in a position. It's something that uh, somebody else or something does to you. And you're just kind of a, a passive person and you just accept the consequences. It's like you get caught up in a wave. You position yourself in such a way, you get in front of the wave and you get caught away by that wave. That's the idea of the verb there. So do not be, do not put yourself in a position to be conformed by this world. And the word for conformed is scheme, schematized. It's a superficial, artificial schematic that seeks to like squeeze you in its mold. So literally what Paul is saying is, here's the key to spiritual growth. Do not put yourself in a position to be squeezed into the artificial, superficial mold of this world's thinking and all of its ideologies. Don't do that. But it, and it's a command. We are obligated to do this. Okay, so don't, I can't allow myself to be put in a position. In other words, I can't be, put myself in a position to be exposed to the lies and the deception of this world. Because it will influence my thinking, and as a result, it will influence the way I act, my attitudes, the way I speak, the way I treat people. Don't do that. Examine your life and see, are you putting yourself in a position to be caught up by the waves of this world and you're just carried, being carried to and fro all over the place with all kinds of false teaching, false doctrine? Don't do that. So, really this is a twofold command: is If you want to live for Christ in a way that's pleasing all the time, there's two things you need to do. One is negative and one is positive. The first one we just saw is negative. Do not allow yourself to be put in a position where you are exposed to the godlessness and its influence in this world. Rather than doing that, do not be conformed to this world, this godless world, but rather be transformed, be metamorphosized, really changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. There it is. You need, As Christians, we need to be ongoing, continually, and forevermore as a discipline, renewing our mind and putting ourselves, the verb is also passive, we need to put ourselves in a position where we won't be caught by the waves of the world, but we need to deliberately put ourselves in positions where we're going to be influenced by godly things, by truth, by spiritual things. That's what we do. So one is positive, one is negative. Don't allow yourself to be caught up and squeezed into the mold of this world's thinking, but instead be transformed or metamorphosized from the inside by the renewing of your mind. So that is the key. That's the key to spiritual stability, is thinking on truth, meditating on truth, and being a discerning person. That is the key. You want spiritual stability in your life? You want peace? You want fear from anxiety? You want freedom from fear? It comes down to your thinking. Actually, it starts with your thinking. Thinking on truth. Meditating on truth. You have a battle with sin you can't overcome. It comes down to your thinking. It's right here. Be transformed. Be changed. God will change you with His Holy Spirit, with His truth, if you put yourself in a position on a regular basis, as you have a direct connection to His Word. The Word of God, Scripture. This is an act of worship. Loving God with all your mind. That's why Jesus said, what's the greatest priority? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But he also said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. And so that's what we're doing this morning. God has given us objective, written, permanent truth to read, to study, to understand, to assimilate, to apply in our life, to change our thinking, our fallen thinking, to vet out deception and blindness in every area of life. And I guarantee that many of us, if not just about all of us, are being misled time and time again, day after day, regarding this issue of Israel, what we're supposed to think about Israel and the ongoing war with Israel. But we are not at a loss. God's already given us everything we need to know. So we need to be very disciplined in our thinking. So that's what I'm challenging you to do today. Hopefully you came to church um, taking it seriously. We're going to hear, hopefully, from the Word of God from Scripture And I want you to put your thinking caps on. And we want to hear the voice of God on this very complicated, difficult issue related to the war going on right now with Israel. God has an answer very clearly. His word is sufficient. It's hard work. Some Christians don't have the courage to do this. But it's not an option. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, 22. Another command for every Christian. Examine everything carefully. You know what that means? Literally the Greek word. First of all, it's a command, so it's not an option. Examine everything carefully. Everything means everything. Everything in life. That means the news, what you're hearing, the Yahoo news outlet that's on your phone, and they, that's the first thing you click every day with all of its lies about Israel every single day. Examine everything carefully, says the Bible. That means evaluate, and it's talking about using your mind in the evaluation, first and foremost. Think. Evaluate. Think, that's the word. Calculate, discriminate, make distinctions, vet out falsehood from truth, that's what the word means. Examine everything carefully, details, precision matters. Examine everything carefully, hold fast, cling to, hold on to, welcome, embrace in an ongoing manner the good. And then it says, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain. What does that mean? To refuse. That's what it means. To have nothing to do with. Flee from. Boycott it. Abstain from every form of evil. And it's the general, generic word for evil. It's not just talking about immoral behavior. It's talking about everything that is evil. And a lie is evil. A half a truth is evil. So this definitely applies to our thinking. Examine everything Carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So that's what I want you to do today. And then finally in Acts chapter 17... Uh, You've got the Bereans, the Berean Christians in the town of Berea, where Paul went in to preach as an apostle, and he's speaking spiritual things, and some of it is unfamiliar to them. And so what do they do? It says they are examining the Scriptures daily to see whether the things, what what Paul was saying were true. And that is commendable. All of us need to be like the Bereans, examining the Scripture. And it doesn't matter who is speaking, if it's Pastor Cliff or the CNN news anchor or some so-called expert on the news... On the Arab-Israeli war, it doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, we are obligated by God to examine everything carefully in light of the Scriptures. So let's do that today. So if you have a handout here. And so my goal here was to take a break. Pastor Derek and I had talked about this, and we both agreed early on, like over almost three weeks ago. This needs attention. We need to say something about this. We need to allow the people of God, especially our body and our members, to have the biblical proper perspective on this monumental issue that we are confronted with every single day. How does God view this? And we need to be collectively on the same page in light of God's word. How do we do that? We've been doing whatever we can, writing articles, podcasts, talking about it individually to people, emails, on and on. And then definitely a sermon or two needs to be preached on this because this war is not over. It's not even close to being over. As a matter of fact, it will probably get worse. And what do we need in times of war and these kind of challenges is we need to hear from God. And because this is Israel, God has already spoken on what he thinks about Israel. So let's look at it. So I got a handout there. Uh, the title of the sermon, it's it's one of those Puritan titles. It's really long. Couldn't fit it all on one page. Uh, Part one is God loves Israel forever. I guess I don't need to preach a sermon. I could just leave it at the title. That's a summary of the Bible. That's not my opinion. That's not a political opinion. That's what the Bible teaches, it's what God said over and over again. God loves Israel. Forever. Scripture literally says that. Sadly, throughout history, different times, and even some admirable Christians have had wrong thinking, thanks to Satan and their sin, have determined, well, that statement is not true. God used to love Israel, but it's not forever. The Jews, they crucified Christ. So God doesn't love the Jews. No, Jesus was a Jew. The first apostles were Jewish. The church for the first five years was 100% Jewish. God loves the Jews, and he says, forever. But unfortunately, like I said, some influential Christians throughout the ages, and even today, unfortunately, deny that reality. It's very dangerous. So before we get to uh, my handout, wait, 18 points? Seriously? Okay, well, anyway, uh, (laughs) we'll see how far we get. It's not as overwhelming as you might think. They all go together. But I have a, here's a, just a quick review, a, a, a McManus diagnostic quiz. You ready? There's just 10 quick questions. They're all yes or no. Answer in your own mind or just write it down on a piece of paper. I already tried this out live spontaneously on several people before church. It's kind of fun. And it proved my point. I just asked one question out of these 10, and I got all kinds of answers. I, I did not get the same answer repeated twice from all the people that I asked. And they're all over the map. And I thought, oh, beautiful. I'm glad I put it on this quiz. I'm glad the sermon is about this today, because we are confused. And I'm talking to people who know the Bible, people who have grown up in uh, Christianity, people who have the right view, I think, about Israel and an inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture, and they love Jesus, and many have even been, been coming to this church for quite some time. Many, or several, said they've even read my book on Israel, although somebody did tell me that last week. Yeah, I'm reading your book on Israel again, Pastor Cliff, and it's really confusing. So, but that's good to hear because this matter is very complicated. So here we go. Here's just ten diagnostic questions. Um, they're yes or no. I'll just read through it first, then I'll give you the answer after I read through them. Question number one, is Israel guilty of genocide? It's a yes or no question. Number two, are the Jews... Actually, maybe I'll answer it as I go. Are the Is Israel guilty of genocide? The reason I ask that is because it's on the news every single day when I see it. We have representatives from the state of Michigan here in the United States of America daily accusing Israel of genocide. Look up the word genocide in the dictionary. That is a lie. So the answer is no. Number two, are the Jews occupiers of the land? Occupier is a key word. Pay attention to that. People just read and go right. That is a formal technical word. Occupier is synonymous with a usurper. You don't belong there. You're occupying something that you don't own and have the rights to. That's what the word means. Where did it come from? The United Nations made a resolution after 1967 and formally designated Israel as occupiers of the land. That's what that word means. So look for it in the news. Are they occupiers of the land? Are they unrightful usurpers of that land? No. Number three, are the Jews guilty of apartheid? That's just gross wholesale segregation, biased, based on ethnicity. No. Even currently, they're not. But you hear it all the time. Number four, is Palestine a nation? Be careful on this one. This is the one where nobody could agree when I was asking them today. Is Palestine a nation? Most of the people that I asked said yes, only after a lot of ambivalence and, hmm, wait, oh, wait. And they said, yes, can I change my answer? And they weren't sure. Is Palestine a nation? The answer is no. No. So that's one of the biggest lies going on. Palestine is not a nation. If I were to ask a fourth grader, go point on the map to the nation of Palestine, they couldn't do it. Uh, Number five, is Hamas a nation? Some people actually believe that they are. No. What is Hamas? It's a terrorist, it's a Muslim terrorist organization. They're not hiding that. That is not a secret. Just call it what it is. Came into existence in 1987. They wrote their charter of 38 articles in 1988. It's the byproduct of Yasser Arafat, whose lifelong goal since the 50s was to push all Jews into the Mediterranean Sea in the name of Allah. It's real simple. It's just a matter of history. I taught uh, after 9 11 22 years ago. I did a 12 week Sunday school class on Islam. I still have a recording. 22 years ago. Uh, At the time Hamas was just a few years old and I was warning the world. No, I was warning 42 people in my Sunday school class. Watch out for Hamas. They're sneaky, they're devilish, they're evil. They have a written charter of 38 articles. The main goal that they have is to honor Allah by killing and eradicating all Jews. It's written in their charter. That's what they stand for. It's a terrorist terrorist organization. That is not my opinion. That's the opinion of the United States uh, State Department. That's at least since 93 has put... Uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. They're listed there still. Even our president recently, 21 days ago, said such. So Hamas is not a nation. It is a Muslim terrorist organization. Because if you read the 38 articles of their charter, they do everything in the name of Allah and Islam. And their goal is not just to eradicate all Jews, but to take over the world for Allah. In the Promised Land, they say, is the possession of Allah. And that can never be revoked. Read the article. Read their charter. It hasn't changed. Very clear. They don't want peace with anybody. Number six. Is there a Palestinian ethnic? Listen carefully to this one. Is there a Palestinian ethnicity, language, or religion? The answer is no. Is there a Palestinian... For example uh i've met people who said they were palestinian even recently oh i'm hi how are you and then the conversation told me that they were palestinian i don't get to meet a palestinian very often so i was quite intrigued and i said you're you're a palestinian really tell me more so so where were you born oh right here in uh, santa clara california oh okay so where were your parents born oh in san jose oh but you're palestinian yeah okay Uh, What language do you speak? Do you know Arabic? No, I'm just English only and Pig Latin. Wow. Okay. Uh, How about religion? Are you Muslim? No, I'm a Christian. Oh. Okay. Well, I'm confused. (laughs) Um, But they said, well, why why do you say you're Palestinian? Well, because my parents said I was. Because at some point they had a relative uh, generations ago that actually lived in what that area. There's two designated areas that they would call Palestine today. Uh, Post-1948 and 1967. Then I gave them my book on Israel. After that conversation, they read it and came back and said, Pastor Cliff, I just want you to know I'm not a Palestinian. <laughs> what are you? Well, I'm a Californian Christian who speaks English only. <laughs> right on. Amen. But anyway, so by way of ethnicity, so part of the confusion is this on the news. Um, Hamas waged war, unprovoked terroristic war, on Israel, a peaceful nation. And more than Israel. We know that. Yes, babies were beheaded. Yes, hostages were taken. Evil to the core. Hamas, a terrorist organization with a very specific goal and cause. Don't confuse that with people that call themselves Palestinians who are peaceful people living there. Many of the people who call themselves Palestinian who live in the Gaza Strip, they don't like Hamas. There's not a majority of normal people in the Gaza Strip who are in favor of Hamas. The majority is against Hamas. But they are being controlled by this terrorist organization since 2006. So it's very recent. So there's great confusion there. And then, he, so, and then you got people saying that Hamas speaks for Palestinians. No, they don't. They're totally different. It's a, it's a Muslim terrorist organization. Its origin is not even from the Gaza Strip. Where was its origin? Where was it before it was in the Gaza Strip? In Syria. You got to go north. So getting back to this question is there a Palestinian ethnicity, language, or religion? And we're saying, well, Hamas, they're the Palestinians. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you're a Palestinian, what most people mean when they hear that word or actually those using that term we are Palestinian like Yasser Arafat Abbas who is the president of the Palestinian state today if you call yourself Palestinian what does that mean? First and foremost it means that you are not a Jew that's what it means I am not Jewish what else does it mean if you're Palestinian I'm not Jewish and I am a Muslim What else does it mean? Well, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Muslim, and I live in this area called, that we are calling temporarily Palestine, the Gaza Strip or the West Bank. But people who are Palestinian over there in the land, especially in the Gaza Strip, and the members of Hamas, they're not Palestinian. You know what they are? If you were to ask, okay, what's your ethnicity, Mr. Hamas guy? It's probably Egyptian, Syrian from Lebanon. He's from Iran. That's his ethnicity. There is no Palestinian ethnicity. There's no such thing. Oh, okay, Mr. Hamas, what's your religion? Well, (laughs) they wrote it out in 38 articles. We are Muslims and we serve Allah to the death by holy jihad. So that's his religion. So Palestinian is not a religion. It's not an ethnicity. Well, what's your native language, Mr. Hamas? Is it Palestinian? Well, there is no such thing as a Palestinian language. It's probably Arabic. That's what the Quran is written in. And he probably knows his native language as well, if he's Egyptian. So there's all the confusion. Or at least a lot of it. Just the very identity. Even just someone saying they're Palestinian today, or the Palestinians. Liberate the Palestinians. Well, who are you talking about? Or the Arab-Israeli war. There is no, that's another lie. There is no Arab-Israeli war. That's not what it is. That's a wrong name. Quit calling it that. What is it? It's the Muslim-Jewish war conflict. The Muslim-Jewish conflict. It's not Arab-Israeli conflict. Because, did you know there are Christian Arabs? Yeah, you can be Arabic and be a Christian. Did you know there are Arab-Jews? Yeah, so Arabic, that's, it's not an ethnicity. It's not a nationality. That's why it's so confusing. But they continue just to call it the Arab-Israeli conflict. And that's by design. It's very strategic because it really uh, puts a target on Israel on a very small scale and makes them the enemy of the uh, one, one other 182 nations of the world. When you say it's an Arab-Israeli conflict, because you've got all kinds of Arab Christians around the world who support Israel when you say it's an Arab-Israeli war, that means everybody is against Israel. No, they're not. Arab Jews aren't against Israel. Arab Christians aren't against Israel. So a lot of lies being promoted. It is by design. That's what Satan does. He wants to control the vocabulary. He's a propagandist artist and master. Number seven. Oh, getting back to Palestinians. So I guess you could say uh, if there's... I don't know where the sermon's going to end or how far I'm going to get, but (laughs) one thing, I want you to go home uh, with a real simple truth. I went into the nursery before church started and said, hey, are you serving in the nursery today? Those six people, yes, uh, we are. Oh, okay, thank you for your service, one of the most important ministries of the church, and let me tell you what my sermon is about today in a sentence or less because you're going to miss it. It's real simple. Here's my point. The word Palestine is not in the Bible. Just meditate on that for a second. Let it soak in. The word Palestine is not in the Bible. But we, we know how people got the word and associated it falsely doing that. But that's true. So we want to be Bereans. Examine the scriptures. If you examine the scriptures and look for the word Palestine, it's not in the Bible. It's not there. It's not in scripture. Bible never calls the Holy Land, the Promised Land, the Holy Land, Palestine. Never. God never called it that. Nobody ever did. In the Bible. Now, you King James people who are familiar with Joel 3.4, might be saying, "Oh, contraire, Pastor Cliff, my 1611 King James Bible says here, oh ye, what do I have to do with you, Tyre and Sidon, and you along the coast of Palestine? 1611 King James. Well, that's the wrong translation. That's the only time it's in an English Bible is in the King James Version of Joel 3.4, and it's completely wrong. Uh, So... If you think your King James Bible is perfect, no, there's one error right there. You can even look at the new King James Bible, the new American Standard, the NIV, the LSB, the NASB, the Net Bible, the CSB, the HCSB, maybe even the Message. <laughs> Joel 3, 4, and they all got it right and realized that is wrong, the 1611 guys. I don't know why they put that in there, probably thanks to Jerome in 380 when he made his Latin translation of the Bible. And he translated Joel 3.4 from the Septuagint or his Hebrew scripture, which he shouldn't have done. And it said Philistia, as in the Philistines, as in the small area there on the Mediterranean where Goliath came from. And Jerome put the word in there, Palestine, and he shouldn't have done that in Latin. That's where it came from. Joel 3.4, King James Bible. So setting aside the King James Bible, any other English Bible that you have that's legit based on the original language, the word Palestine does not exist in the Bible. God never called that land Palestine. If God never called that land Palestine, why should we as Christians, who are committed to the Bible, that just confuses everything? I think it's an affront to God. It's got a name, He gave it a name forever. Actually, in the Bible, that land only had two names. Well, three. First, it was the earth. Everything was called the earth before God created nations. The earth. That's it. Then in the days of Noah, 2500 B.C., God created nations for the first time. And he did it through Noah. Noah was a kingdom builder and a nation builder. Noah was no wimp. Probably one of the greatest rulers in the history of humanity. He lived for 300 years after the flood. And he had divine supernatural power given to him by God to create nations. He was a kingdom maker. And then in Genesis chapter 10, it lists 70 different nationalities and nations that came from Noah and his three sons. Every ethnicity represented here on this church campus today can be traced back to Genesis chapter 10 and one of those 70 peoples. It's in the Bible. Everyone one. And the people that took over that promised land area for the first time, it was the Canaanites. So you had Noah, and then you had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the disobedient son. He had a son named Canaan. And Canaan and his descendants, they took the holy land there. Like, you know, remember back in the old days, in the wild frontier days before when America just was free land and you could they had different times where you'd get on your horse and, okay, everybody, ready, set, go. And then you drive as fast as you can and you stick your stake in the ground. I get this portion. I get this plot. I get Well, that's what happened in Genesis chapter 10. God said, here's the world. Go at it. They dispersed all over, and the Canaanites ended up in the Holy Land area, 2500 BC. And so ever since then, ever since Canaan went into the land, in Genesis 10 there, God called it the land of the Canaanites. That's what it's called in the Bible. So you start reading the Bible, oh, the land of the Canaanites. Genesis chapter, Genesis, the land of the Canaanites. Exodus, the land of the Canaanites. Leviticus, the land of the Canaanites. Numbers and Deuteronomy, the land of the Canaanites. The book of Joshua, the land of the Canaanites. It has one name. Who lives there? The Canaanites. Whose land is it? It's God's land. And he allowed the Canaanites to live there. And they were a vile, wicked, evil people that God wanted to be removed and supplanted with the nation of Israel. So... It had three names. First, it was called the earth up until 2500 B.C. till Noah. And then with the Canaanites, when they came in, it was called the land of the Canaanites from the time of Noah until the time of Joshua when he took over the land. Then Joshua took in two million Jews into the land across the Jordan River And they went throughout that whole promised land, the land of the Canaanites, and booted them out. And God was leading in the war. He was leading His people, the Israelites. God was fighting for them and with them to remove all those people. And Joshua took the whole plot of land that formerly was known as the land of Canaan. And from that point on, it became the land of Israel. And that's what it's called in the Bible for the rest of the Old Testament. All the way up until the birth of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. He was born in Bethlehem, and then an angel warned them to leave down to Egypt. And then, when he was in Egypt, an angel was sent and told Joseph, Take the baby back to the land of Israel. That is its name. The Bible never calls it Palestine or the land of Palestine. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from so when you think, so think two things on, when you hear Palestine. Okay, Palestine is not in the Bible. Well, <laughs> actually, three things. Palestine is not in the Bible, Palestine is not a nation today. Of the 193 nations. It's not a nation. It's not a country. And then number three, when you think Palestine, think Philistine. Because that's the word. That's literally what it means. Because if you look at Joel three 4, we're in the King James Version, it says Palestine. And you look at every other English translation, they all get it right. And it says Philistia. The Philistines. As in Goliath. Where's that? It's on your map that I gave you. Just a little patch of land down by... Uh, In Israel, in the south, little strip there, a couple of cities, Gaza was literally a city that uh, Joshua went in to invade, very small patch of land on the sea, and that's where the Philistines roamed. They were sea peoples, where they come from, the land of Crete, came across the sea, tried to go into Egypt, Egypt was too big and strong and said, take a hike, scared them up north, into the land of Israel at different times, and they settled there on the coast because they couldn't go any further, because if they did, they got hammered by whatever nation was there, particularly Israel, King David, Solomon, and so on. And so they had this little pocket of land, even uh, over there, and, that's what, and then it became called, that's where the Philistines resided. And then, unfortunately, through those who hated the Jews, they changed the name and distorted it from Philistia to Palestine, and it's stuck ever since. So if you've got a Bible, many of you probably do, you probably have a Bible that says at some point in the book of Judges, Joshua, or in the maps at the back, and it says the land of Palestine. They got it wrong. That should be scratched out. That's not in the Bible. There's a map at the back of one of my Bibles at the top, and it says uh, the land of Palestine. And it, Really? And I'm looking at all over the map, and there's not one place on the map named Palestine. Where'd that come from? Uh, just historical revisionism. Actually, really where it's stuck, uh, since you asked, Josephus, who's living just at the time of Christ, or after the time of Christ, time with the apostles, the Jewish historian, he actually made reference to Philistia, and because he was writing in Greek and Latin, he changed it from Philistia to Palestina, which is like the Greek rendering and the Latin rendering of Philistia. And he, he knew he had it right. It was that small area down there where the Philistines lived. That's what Josephus meant when he wrote that. Fast forward about 80 years later, Hadrian, the Roman emperor who hated the Jews in 135 A.D., stopped an insurrection by the Jews who were trying to take over and liberate Jerusalem. And Hadrian, the Roman emperor, came in and lied to the Jews and said, Oh, I'm going to build you a temple, and he didn't. And instead he built a, a massive temple to Jupiter, and he slaughtered the Jews he banished them from the city. He slaughtered and killed the rabbis. He burned all the Torahs in scripture. He made an edict and said it was illegal for any Jews to reside in the periphery or the land of surrounding Judea. Not just Jerusalem, but Judea. And it was called Judea at the time. Judea, that's a Latin version of Judah. Hadrian, the Roman emperor, 135. And part of his decree was Jews aren't allowed to live here. They are not allowed to live in Judea or Jerusalem. Banish them all, slaughtered many. And he, to spite the Jews, he changed the name from Judea to Palestina. Why did he do that? He did that on purpose. Why? Because he thought, huh, knowing my limited history, who was the perennial enemy that hated the Jews and gave them such a hard time and was a thorn in their flesh for centuries? Oh, the Philistines, one of the greatest enemies, people who hate the Jews. I'm going to name their capital Palestina. That's what he did. That's where it comes from. Yasser Arafat did the same thing post-1967. Who hated the Jews? So today, just to give you a historical context. So today, I know you can hardly help it because it's everywhere. Your favorite Bible teacher is talking about Palestine. Your favorite Bible dictionary has a 10-page article on Palestine. It's, just, it's called Palestine. They're talking about Israel. All the while, Said, so, well, this isn't in the Bible. And we're not going to shake this moniker that's been given to it illegitimately. We're not going. I just wanted you to know the truth. To help you in your thinking. To think with clarity. Because when I asked five, ten people before church started, is Palestine a state? And they didn't. I don't know. I'm, I have no idea. I'm confused. There's a reason you're confused. I want to give you clarity from God's word. The word Palestine is not in the Bible. When you hear the word Palestine, think Philistine. God said and promised in a prophecy uh, the perpetual enemies of Israel, known as the Philistines, he said, I'm going to wipe you out, obliterate you, and you're going to go into non-existence. He said that in the, book, in the prophets. And that's exactly what happened. So that by 450 BC, there was no such thing as a Philistine on earth. They don't exist. They're like the Hittites. They went out of existence. So technically, there are no Philistines on earth today, along with the Girgashites and the Jebusites and the Hittites, because they were all utterly obliterated. Now, in today's vernacular, you could say there are no true Palestinians today, because what we mean by that are there are no Philistines today. Now, if you go over and you meet somebody who is a legitimate person called a Palestinian because they actually were born in the land of what's called Palestine today and have grown up there and lived there, and you tell them there's no such thing as a Palestinian, they might punch you, and rightfully so, because that's their worldview, that's their identity, they don't have the history, they don't know, they're not thinking in biblical terms. It's just based on geography, it's kind of really not their fault. I'm a Palestinian. Oh, okay, what's your Palestinian language? Don't have one. What's your religion? Don't have one. A Palestinian religion. They have Islam. What's your ethnicity? It's not Palestinian, it's Egyptian. Well, what's, where's your identity come from? Well, it's this plot of land that I was born and raised in and also my commitment to Allah. That's that's my identity. That makes me a It's like the, the closest thing I could liken it to is an example to help our thinking. It's It would be like... Uh, A Chinese Buddhist who was born and raised in Texas in America. They're a citizen, a rightful citizen here. Now get that combination. A Chinese Buddhist born in Texas and is a rightful U.S. citizen. Perfect English. And you went up and asked him, so what are you? I'm a Texan. He said, no, you're not. Yes, I am. they're ready to fight with you. But actually, no. Well, what? You're a Texan? Wait a minute. What's your nationality and ethnicity? Oh, Chinese. Okay. Do you speak Mandarin? Yeah, actually, I do. Oh, (coughs) what's your religion? I'm a Buddhist. Where are your grandparents from? They were born in China. Well, that's what I'm getting. You're not a Texan. Yeah, I am. Well, no, you're American and whatever it is. So see how convoluted it can get? And that would be, that's just, just, I'm giving that portrait to help you understand how a Palestinian today understand, that's their self-identity of those who legitimately were born and raised in that area that on a map it says Palestine. Whether it's legitimate or not that it says that, that's what they've been raised to think. It's just rooted in their DNA. No way around it. Okay. Um, yeah, this is going to be two-part series, by the way. <laughs> There's just too much to say. It is so complicated. Is Palestine the word Palestine in the Bible? No. Where did the word Palestine come from? It's a mangling of the word Philistine. Does God love Israel? Absolutely. Still, yes. Number seven. Does Hamas... Represent Palestine or the Palestinians? We addressed that one already. Hamas, no. But when you're watching the news, you would think so. Like at the University of Washington and Harvard and all these colleges, these U.S. colleges, plastering signs all over and having protests saying, liberate Palestine? Because Israel is rightfully defending themselves against a terrorist organization? Not against a nation, a terrorist organization. Liberate Palestine? People are confused. They're not just confused, they're satanically blinded. Don't forget 2 Corinthians 4.4. and 4. 1 John 5, the, the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. Emphasis on evil. The evil one. 1 Peter 5.8. Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and destroy. He's doing that right now through deceiving people. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see spiritually. They can't understand biblical truth as it is written without the aid of the Holy Spirit. Actually, they think it's a joke. Because one of my points is, oh, let me give you the history of the world and specifically the history of the land of Israel. And point number one, I start with the book of Genesis that God created everything 6,000 years ago, and he owns everything. They will laugh in your face. You're an idiot. You're a buffoon. You're unscientific. The world isn't 6,000 years old. That's mythology. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, an unbeliever. And also 1 Corinthians 2. That an unbeliever is unable to discern spiritual truth. 1 Corinthians 2. Because the word of God is spiritually appraised, spiritually discerned, that means through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, enlightens our understanding, 1 Corinthians 2.16, and as a result, we as Christians have the mind of Christ. That's awesome. We have the mind of Christ, the ability to think like God, unlike the world. How can Paul say that we have the mind of Christ? Because we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. Uh, Is the word, oh, we already did this one, number eight, is the word Palestine in the Bible? You said no, or at least that's what I say. Number nine is the the word Palestine in the Quran. You would think if the Muslims around the world are uniting to liberate Palestine, their holy land, because actually in the 38 articles of the Hamas charter, they call it a covenant, actually. Read it. I actually don't, but I did. And over and over again, Palestine is considered holy land that belongs to Allah. Oh, really? You would think if you're willing to die for it and fight for it and cause world wars over it, that you would think this precious holy land called Palestine over there is in your most holy book, the Quran, but it's not. And today, Islam says that uh, one of their holy cities, most holy cities, is Jerusalem. Most holy cities, Jerusalem. And they will fight to the death. Do you know the word Jerusalem is not even in the Quran? In 650 AD, when Muhammad, who was half literate, plagiarized half the Bible and got it all convoluted. He could care less about the city of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. He didn't live there. He had no interest in it. So he didn't incorporate it in his Quran. It's not in there. So the word Palestine is not in the Quran. And then number 10 uh, Does the Bible ever call the promised land Palestine? No except the distortion in uh, the King James Version of 1611 in Joel 3.4, thanks to Jerome, who messed it all up, who got confused. From Herodotus the Greek in 400 B.C. Who didn't know anything about the land of Israel? just knew it was the land of the east and those weird people over there. And the seafaring Philistines left the island of Crete across the Mediterranean, and they went over there somewhere that way, away from Greek And so Herodotus actually referred to it as the land of Palestina in Greek. That's another way it was convoluted. But it was a completely lack of precision in the term. And if you just study the last 2,000 years of world history, uh, there's no consistent designation of that land by the countries who have conquered the land of Israel since the time of the Romans, 70 AD. It's changed names a zillion times. A hundred years ago, it was called Syria. Syria, that was his name. Nobody argued with that. Another interesting thing, if you were reading the Palestinian Post 110 years ago, the Palestinian, that was the daily newspaper? Guess what language it was written in? It was written in Hebrew. Why? It was a Jewish newspaper. The Palestinian Daily News. What changed everything? Post 1948, but especially 1967, Yasser Arafat and his uncle had a plan, they were conniving. They did historical revisionism. They thought if we can just control the vocabulary, infuse it with new meaning, do a propaganda campaign, control people through fear and violence, we can achieve our agenda, and they are well on their way. But God is not done with Israel yet. That's the good news. Let me encourage you. um, So that was the introduction. But just too much stuff. Let me, if you got a Bible, flip to, and we did teach the Bible today, just so you know. Uh, I was referring to a lot of Bible. <laughs> so, but, <clears throat> Chronicles, when's the last time you did your devotions in Chronicles? Um, how about 2nd, uh, let's see here. 2nd Chronicles 17. Oops, sorry, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 17. This answers the question, what should the Christian's attitude be towards Israel? Well, here's the answer. This is just one passage. Literally, I could have read hundreds of passages from the Old Testament that say the same thing. Paul says the same thing in Romans 9 through 11. To the church. To Gentiles. Reminding them, don't get haughty and arrogant, Mr. Gentile, Mrs. Gentile. Just because you know Jesus and a lot of the Jews are unbelieving right now. God hasn't abandoned the Jews. Romans 9 through 11, maybe, you know, read it this week if you haven't read it in a while. Paul starts out saying, I love the Jews. I'm a Jew. My brother's a Jew. If God would curse me to the death for all eternity, that my brethren Jews might be saved, I'd be willing to do that. I pray for the salvation of lost Jews, Romans 10. Paul the Apostle loved the Jews, and he encouraged the Gentile Christians to do the same, because that's the heart of God, that's God's perspective. Here is the prophet and king, David, uh, 1 Chronicles 18. Starting in verse 20, O Lord, O Yahweh, this is the God of the universe, the only true God, Allah is not God. Allah is a false God. Allah is Satan masquerading as God. This is the true God. O Yahweh, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, the promises that God gave to David and the Davidic covenant and the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that lasts forever and ever, and that the Messiah is coming through the line of David. That's what he's talking about. The Jewish Messiah. Verse 21. And what one nation in earth is like your people Israel? Wow. Rhetorical question. None. And what one nation in the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make you a name by great and terrible things, and driving out nations from before your people when they entered the promised land through Joshua, whom you redeemed out of Egypt... For your people, your people Israel, for your people Israel, you made your own people forever. There it is. And you, O Yahweh, became their God. God is not finished with Israel yet. Despite their sin and compromise, He is chastening them. And that's what God says. Those whom He loves, He chastens. With that, let's go to prayer. And just a reminder, as you're praying and be thinking, we do have a benevolence offering that we want to do. We do that four times a year, and we use that money. You've been very generous in the benevolence offering. We take that money and use it for emergencies that arise in people's practical areas of life, from uh, medical issues, car problems, and anything else. So thank you for your act of love. By contributing to the benevolence offering, we'll sing a song and Pass the plate around at that time, and then we'll have our benediction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, the Lord's Day, a reminder that it's an opportunity for those who know you, your children, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your ascension on high, your reigning at the right hand of the Father. That is our great privilege. God, that's what gives us comfort and security in this life. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are in control. Everything's happening according to your plan. All things work together for good because you are sovereign and in control. And we thank you for that. Thank you for filling our hearts and our minds with your truth. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.